The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. It's freezing cold in the Twin Cities. It's raining. It feels like we're in Seattle, but it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. We got a fun show up for you today. Justin Bailey producing Tom Schreier across the table. This is Brandon Warren. And on the phone today, this time maybe he overslept. It's the real tiny Nick. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> How's it going, guys? I I did not oversleep. Well, you're in Iowa, I understand. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's worse than oversleeping. Well, it's <laughs> it is the it is the United States version of oversleeping. What <laughs> We're, we don't have a tracking device on you or anything, but where in Iowa are you? Um, I'm down in Ames, uh, finishing my senior year of school. Oh, see, that shows how aware I am of that. Well, so Iowa State. I I'm probably could have prepped you on that. Yeah, well, I was like, oh, is he? Is he <laughs> no, I just went back to school to finish my senior year here. I was uh, at the University of Minnesota before. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I've been to Ames a few times in my life. I like the city. It's kind of a fun spot. Hickory Park was kind of my jam back then. You, I assume you've been there before. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Anybody in Ames knows Hickory Park for sure. Yeah, so a good spot to get a little bit of bite of food to eat. A little barbecue. Uh, yeah, right. So, how do you know Tom? Because I think that everyone here is wondering how Tom makes any friends, and let alone ones <laughs> who are willing to go on. You know, it's not like a major podcast. We get like you know ten or twelve listens, but. <laughs> How how did you get to become acquainted with the third Tom Schreier? <laughs> um, well, Tom's uh, Tom's one of my best friends now, uh, yeah. so you can you can let him know I said that. Um, no, but I know Tom through Cy. Uh, Tom could tell you right now um, that through the, throughout the last few years, uh, I've met him probably, or I've been with him probably twenty times with Cy Amundsen, and uh, we've been to a baseball game together. We've been to, we've worked a wedding together. We've been through a lot together, so. I love Tom. Yeah, we had a we had a battle through a, a wedding with Joe Gill as the uh, the head waiter. <laughs> Tiny Nick, who is who is an absolute champion, just left. He was like, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm done with Joe Gill, who's on the Cy Amundsen show." Joe was on a power trip. Yeah, I didn't know how how in depth I should go into things, but I know Tom pretty well. Yeah, so we were let's let's actually start here. We were at he, the he didn't get bed bugs in your uh. God damn it. Like, God damn it. I just want to make sure he's not the friend that got, got you bed bugs. No, he did not. Tiny Nick's a respectable human man. Mugabe's concubine. The, uh... okay, let's let's maybe get off it? this topic. The uh, um, yikes! That incident was not. I have scars. Tom's backpedal right now is so good. The Vikings are calling his phone. I can see it. It's sitting on the table. It's, uh, Xavier Rhodes has been struggling. If they put him on IR, Tom might be next man up. I might. Uh-oh. I might. My play gets Washington. The. Uh, um, <laughs> just we, set off my ring. Sorry, Brandon, who's like on his phone right now. The uh, uh, Tiny Nick and I were at the five-hour game. We may have mentioned this before when he was on the podcast. Yeah, hey, weren't you guys in the? Were you in the right field seats? Yeah, describe your seats, Tiny Nick, because they're sweet. Um, yeah, the easiest way to explain them is uh, what we did last time with the Asadio catch. Um, oh, they're yeah. they're like front row, uh, over where the right field wall starts to like go up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty unique it's a pretty unique spot. Um, like I said last time, it's just it's pending the whole net situation of uh, how prime it's really going to be for next season. 
Yeah, they're known as the bonus seats around here because John Bonus of Twins Daily has season tickets there too that he kind of parcels out. So I've actually showed up in that spot before because I let's see what happened. I wrote the they used to do the game day programs and then they'd give you tickets as kind of a payment for it. Yeah. So I turned up with a catch that was uh, Oswaldo Arcia over there. So I've sat in those spots. Yeah, those I love. Well. I, I, he was like my favorite twin. I love Osvaldo. Wow, that's not too many people would say that. He was. Uh, he threw. He threw me like eight balls. Like when I was like a kid, it was a lot of fun. He was a nice guy. Nice. He, it's Nick Swisher. I think we may have said this on the last show. That's uh, him and Tiny Nick go way back. It's a. It's a strong. Yeah, Nick Swisher. He's amazing. But uh, yeah. So we um. And we have, may have talked about this game. I can't remember on the podcast. But I, I guess I want to start here because that game would have indicated, and maybe even that series would have indicated that the Twins and the Yankees weren't that different. In fact, I had said on the show that my friends who are Yankees fans were issuing some of the same complaints. They wished they would have gotten another starter. They're worried about the bullpen. You know, it's a very Homer-dependent team. Um, and it's it was just funny to hear the Yankees describe like the Twins. Having said that, we saw those three games you know, the two in New York especially mm-hmm. looked really lopsided and really the one here wasn't much better. I guess let's start there, Nick. Were you surprised that there was a discrepancy between those two teams, especially because we saw up and close and personal two teams that looked rather similar? Um, I'm a little surprised that the offense uh, didn't show up more, but going into uh, the last couple weeks, I kind of, I kind of got a vibe of not excuses, but just a lot of things, uh, that weren't completely right. Uh, for example, um, I wasn't the most shocked to see the, the hitting struggle against New York because Max Kepler had been, uh, he, he'd been pretty much out of action for a while. Marwin was in and out of action for a long time. I mean, you had a lot of guys that were banged up. Miguel Sano, nobody was really peaking at the time going into the playoffs, uh, which was a, a big concern for me going against, uh, obviously the bombers in New York. Um, I also, uh, I also was very discouraged. I mean, game one was, uh, was a game that showed that we could play with the Yankees. We did a lot of really dumb things. Um, Reyes had a tough, I think, third inning in the field. Uh, Crone uh, botched that ball, which, I mean, people haven't talked about as much of the importance of that, but that turned the whole series right there. And uh, the game two with, with Dominic on the mound, um, I mean, it was just, I don't know. I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't a fan of the decision in the first place. Uh, I really wanted to see as much Odorizzi as possible um, just because he's coming out of the AL East and probably is the least intimidated by the Yankees. But that being said, um, the, the, the lineup, I don't think is outmatched. I think the lineup was just out of, out of sync, the pitching rotation and the, the bullpen, um, especially because we didn't even get to use our, our back end in any levered situations was very disappointing and uh it was kind of alarming to see how how far off we were from the Yankees so I have a question what did you think about the increased chatter that the baseball was deadened between the uh regular season and the postseason and how that affected how the twins played because keeping in mind the Yankees I mean they finished what one home run behind the twins so obviously the long ball was a part of their offense but I think if you look at those two offenses and you say take away home runs, who has the better offense, it wouldn't be hard for me to say, yeah, the Yankees probably have the upper hand there. Maybe it's not by a lot, but I don't know. I think that Twins fans and especially Twins players maybe do have a bone to pick with the idea that the baseball was altered between those, you know, the, the regular season and the postseason. Yeah, yeah. No, um, 
I, I agree. Like like you just said, the the Yankees um, the Yankees hit a lot more home runs than us to, at the end of the year, anyways. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that it was like a complete advantage to the Yankees, but watching those games and I think was it Bob Costas or who was calling the first game? Even listening uh, to the calls of the games, um, it, the home run calls were just off. Something was not right. Uh, the the ball that Sano hit in New York. That ball was, it was, it was like an inside out swing. It just barely got out. And uh, I wasn't complaining because we didn't have any close calls, but the game I went to in Minnesota, uh, Rosario, the home run he hit, I thought was launched and it just barely got out. Mm -hmm. Uh, He hit a double that I thought was a home run. I think he had another ball that stopped on the track. It just seemed like everything was, I'd been to a lot of games this year. I'd seen the ball jump off the bat and it was just exploding and something seemed different to me for sure. Yeah, there's no question about that. How about the fact that the Yankees lost to the Astros? Did you root for that, or do you think you would have rather seen the Yankees, you know, they beat the Twins and they keep going, so you kind of have some bit of solace? Or did you kind of like seeing their souls crushed? You know, they come back, they hit that big home run off Ozuna, and then to see Araldus Chapman, who's had similar off-field problems to Ozuna, you know, get beat up by the the smallest guy in the field. Yeah, um, I would say this is the first Yankees team that, uh, that I mean, I, I absolutely despise the Yankees for obvious reasons my whole life. But this is the first Yankees team where they actually had uh, players on their team that I really liked. Mm-hmm. So I would say I was a little disappointed to see uh, to see how some of them were treated on the way out and how the media treated them, especially Aaron Judge. Uh, I think Aaron Judge is one of the best people in the sport. Mm-hmm. But that being said, the... The New York fan base is just—they are just disgusting. So, I mean, I was at the—I was at that that game three, and I was next to some pretty respectful New York fans. But, I mean, even where I was, there was like a couple of New York fans like spilling beers on people. And, I mean, I, I didn't see that all year at any other game through any other fan base. And the stories that I'm hearing from New York makes it really easy to be happy New York's eliminated. I- you know, just to touch on that a little bit, I did write a story about how I went into the, the crowd and in, in part it was because I know two perfectly respectable human people who are Yankees fans who grew up in New York and diehard New York sports fans across the board. But um, yeah. just in visiting them and I was in the 200 level, which is where the press box is. And there there's four levels there. It's a you know, I wrote about how the the stadium is like a coliseum. It's it's built almost like a football stadium. And um, the. You know, they say what you saw here, which would be people throwing food and tossing beer on fans, what the players saw, which guys in the bullpen said they had beers dumped on them and they saw one guy get kicked out and then the next person tops them. So they get kicked out. They said it's it's astronomically worse as you get higher and into the into the three, four hundred levels. I you know, they're they're a weird fan base that they're very smart. They know how to pick on pitchers and how to kind of boost their own guys. Mm-hmm. But they also the more I've kind of learned about them and, and kind of this, it's not really a rivalry because the Yankees don't worry about the twins, but now that the Yankees are standing in the way of the twins again, it's just a reminder that like, it is really easy to dislike the Yankees. And to be honest that, you know, we were in a text chain here with Bailey and, uh, you know, Midwest swing guys, Brandon, and, and I was excited. It was hard not to be excited when they lost <laughs> to it, the Astros. Is it weird when you go out in the crowd and it just parts like the sea from the Bible, you know, where, <laughs> You just go out there, I mean, to get people to actually talk to you because they're all so far away. Tom's bringing down the house well, it's, here, it's, knocking it's, stuff off the walls. It's funny because it's funny because the uh, when I was at the Twins-Yankees games uh, this year, the, the the meanest thing I heard a fan say to Aaron Judge was probably call him 
Aaron or like make fun of his double A in the beginning of his name. Wow. Uh, that was literally like the meanest Savage. insult I heard from a fan to Aaron Judge from Minnesota. One of my favorite times was I went to a game and so I went to like a really, really um, conservative, quiet Bible college right out of high school. And so there was this kid that was from like far western North Dakota and he has cowboy hat and his boots on. And we're sitting in left field because it was like the cheapest seats you could get for a reasonable uh, amount of money for still up close. And Carlos Lee was yeah. playing left field for the White Sox. And this kid goes, Carlos, Carlos, y- you don't hit very good. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this kid's a savage, you know. And uh, that's kind of like Minnesota. That's kind of like Minnesota mean for you is like. I, yeah, we're just passive aggressive and cynical. But the <laughs> I mean, I get I get un, I get uncomfortable when uh when somebody is like being super annoying to a, a player, and that's just my Minnesota in me. Because when I go to other places, man, I don't care at all. It's crazy. Like I, I listen to things that are a hundred times worse than anything I hear in Minnesota. I, oh yeah, it's worth pointing out that Judge. I became a fan of Judge just sitting in those seats that Nick has because he uh Nick and Nick and Judge they were connecting. It wasn't quite. Swisher, but he was cool about, you know, sending over Dude, you should have seen the playoff game. It was nuts. Like, I'm trying to sit there rooting against the guy, and he literally looks right at me and salutes me, and I give <laughs> him the heart thing, and he gives it back to me. <laughs> like, I, I was, I'm, I'm sitting there like, oh, God, now I'm a Yankees fan. This isn't good. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, 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 I just love Aaron Judge. I, nobody else on that team I really have any interest in as a Yankee. I mean, they have a lot of really cool characters, and and guys that are really good young players, but that's, that's, it's all like, it comes down to Aaron judge when he entered the league was just a really good person. He did a lot of things for the community. And mm-hmm. when you see a guy up close and you see how he interacts with the fans, not even with me, he was out there throwing balls to, to little twins fans, like every inning trying to do little things. Like you've seen the video of him playing catch with the fan. He's just, he gets it. And it's hard to dislike a guy that gets it like that, but mm-hmm. it's really easy to dislike a team that trots out around this Chapman. Yeah, well, and and that's too where the parallel between them and Ozuna comes into play. Yeah, and the fact oh, that absolutely, they yeah, both, they got the two uh, the two even closers. Yeah. So, what did you think about this Ozuna thing that's coming out about the assistant GM of the Astros, basically going, "Yeah, I'm so glad we got that guy in front of a group of reporters." I mean, a handful of them women, even one wearing a domestic violence bracelet, which I'm sure was, I think it's purple, and so fairly obvious. But uh, yeah, just the weird timing because a lot of times the assistant GM isn't really celebrating in the clubhouse. I mean, I've never been in a in a post clinch club, clubhouse, so maybe it's a little different. But also, too, like this is a really weird spot to be freaking out about Ozuna after he gave up that home run to DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, and I mean, there's just uh, there's a few other guys he'd probably give credit to before uh, before him in that game. I would say. I would say it probably was a subtle, like, I wouldn't say shot, but yeah. a subtle opportunity for him to, to to kind of throw that out there. And I don't know if he's testing the waters or what, but right. I'm with you. It seemed like a pretty controversial uh, take on, on what was such a crazy game. It's It was pretty unnecessary, and I don't know. I mean, yeah, the, mo- the more reporters who corroborate what was said and, and reporters without similar lines of uh, things at stake, you know, you've got to – think a radio guy and you've got a couple of people who do newspaper stuff, magazine stuff. I mean, none of them would have common access to grind, even if you wanted to say, oh yeah, maybe someone's trying to, you know, create a story out of nothing that 
there's mounting evidence that there's really no doubt that this actually happened. And for Houston to get a chance to comment on this and decline and then suddenly kind of hastily put out this public relations memo saying, yeah, yeah. nope, nope, none of this happened. It was like, okay, well, do, why would you yeah, not – why yeah. would you choose damage control over getting out in front of the message? I just – I'm not sure I understand it. Yeah, to me it's kind of – the equivalent would be if uh, Kareem Hunt rushed for like 25 yards in, uh, in a playoff game on like four carries and the team won by 20 and then you congratulated Kareem Hunt. It I, just didn't yeah. make much sense to me. No. No, I mean I think it's worth stating that Twins have certainly made mistakes. Um you know, whether it's in the in the past or even recently with some of their players. But both GMs were very accessible throughout the, the series. They've been kind of all year long, and the Twins make a concerted effort to bring good people into their organization. And I think, well, I think sports teams should run their organizations like that in general. I do think they reap the rewards from that too. I mean, they, you just don't see stuff like that. Like I, I'd be so shocked if something like that happened in the twins clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like I said, I mean, it, I think it's why if the twins got any momentum, like had they beaten the Yankees, they would have been a darling for baseball fans. Who's, you know, team was out or something like that, or people who are just neutral. I think, I think a lot, I, I think we were the first 100 plus win team that, I don't even think people considered to have a chance as an underdog. It was weird. Yeah, I, w- I was going to ask about that, and Brandon and I have talked about it, but did the results of the playoffs in some ways spoil the regular season for you? I mean, I feel like this Yeah, is- not for me. I mean, I think if you, if you look at how they got to where they were, <clears throat> excuse me, and then assess to where they were at health-wise, and granted, I know that – I know that – New York had their issues with health as well. But if you look at where they were at health-wise, the idea that they didn't beat the Yankees at all, certainly disappointing. But whether they went five or three games, you know, any of those, to, to beat the Yankees still would have been an upset. And so the fact that they didn't to me is not terribly surprising, especially without a full full complement of guys, whether it was Byron Buxton who was not even going to have a chance to play or Max Kepler who played and didn't get a single hit. Rise was hurt, all that. Yeah, I think I think it's also a question that it depends on uh, the person's age that you're asking. Right. Um, because like some someone someone at my age right now, um, it's pretty. I mean, I, as you guys know, um, I, I I go to as many games as I can. Um, I watch pretty much every game. Uh, to go through 162 games to just get eliminated in three against the same team so many times in my life, um, after not even making it for however many years, and the one time we kind of made it, the same team eliminated us. Um, it's, it, it gets to a point where you, you get a little less excited about April and May, um, just because you realize like how unimportant it is. But then when April and May rolls around, that all goes out the window and you, and you care again. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping when the new season rolls around, um, this, this feeling goes away, but I'd be lying right now if I said it, it didn't hurt a lot to, uh, to see that team just kind of get dismantled the way they did after such a. It, it felt like the most magical season I've had uh, in my life, maybe since 06. And even in 06, if you compare lineups, the bottom half of our lineup this year just destroyed that lineup. So it's, it was just a better team. So before we get into Twins topics full-time, Nick and Tom and even Bailey, if he wants to get in on it, who do you guys like in the World Series? I mean, it's starting tonight, and it's the Nationals, it's the Astros, it's 
on the AL side, kind of the team everybody thought would be there. And then on the NL side, it was kind of like, whoa, yeah, it's not the Dodgers. Team. You know, it's, it's not the Braves. And and had to go through. And it's the team that beat Bailey's Brewers. Uh, so, so, well, so if, uh, if Josh Hader strikes out Juan Soto, <laughs> yeah, this whole narrative is different, right? Yeah, it's it is sort of crazy that the Nationals <laughs> almost lost that game. Like, it I came know. very, it, very, it very close to just losing the one game they had, and now they're playing in the World Series. As did, a Brewer did, fan, it sucks, but as a fan of baseball, I love that. Like, you could literally be down to your final three outs and still win the game and then go on to the world series. I love that narrative for the nationals mm-hmm. sucks to be a brewer fan, obviously, but now you've said that before though. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I just don't see a way the national, unless uh, Scherzer Strasburg, unless they just pitch perfect games. Yeah. I just, I don't see them outgunning this Astros team. Did that hater play an appearance with Soto? Could anything have summed up hater season any better oh, than that? Perfect. I mean, I'm sort of a strike, poetic ending. I'm either going to strike you out. <laughs> it's so crazy. Or it's going to completely demoralize this entire season, yeah, this yeah, entire yeah. game, this entire whatever you want to. And a lot of blame has been put on Grisham out there. Um, I And it is fair to say that's where Yelich would have been. And I don't think Yelich misplays that ball. Grisham started the season in like double A. He wasn't even invited to spring training. Um, he played really, really well to end the season, but I, he gets a mistake out there. Um, I, it sucks. It really sucks, but, um, good for the nationals. I think it, I, I like the narrative of them making it to the world series the season after Harper leaves. I think that's fun for the league. That sucks for Harper, but, um, I, I, it's a fun world series. There's a lot of things to be a fan of if you're a fan of baseball, but I just don't see it being super competitive. So, so you're saying Astros in three best of seven, they're going to win it in three. Yep. They're going to just they're cancel go. the fourth game. Yeah. Gerson Rosas today, Astros in five. It's on the record too. Oh man. He's did you see that, that towns is a yeah Yankees fan and Rosas retweeted him, you know, kind of celebrating that. I guess Carl Anthony towns is canceled. Sorry. <laughs> Do you have uh, towns, an Eagles fan too. He might be. I know he probably likes the New Cowboys. Jersey. He likes, uh, yeah, dude, he's no, Red he's Wings. a huge Eagles fan. He was going crazy at the at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, he, I, no, that I, you are right about that. I do remember that now. Yeah, he's. You know, you'll know New something's Jersey wrong guy. when Carl. Anthony, you'll know something's wrong when Towns starts saying he's a Duke basketball fan. Then you know things have definitely gone off the yeah, rails. Yeah, yeah, I like Duke, I like the Red Wings, I like the Yankees, I like the Cowboys, Lakers. Lakers you know, all the teams that win. Um, do we? Uh, by the way, we're talking to one of the the biggest Cowboy fans. In the, at least in the state of Minnesota. How did they lose to the Jets? <laughs> the biggest Cowboy fan in the state of Minnesota, for sure. Yeah. He, uh, you notice he ignored the they, just, they, they, they were super injured. That's all I'll say about that. They were just a super injured team. I had a terrible feeling going in. And Darnold didn't play as bad as he played last night. Well, yeah, that's a... That's, let's, <laughs> anyway. Uh, what, what is your uh, opinion on the World Series? Yeah, let's get back on the Astro train here yeah. and boom. Yeah, on the on the World Series, um, I think uh, I, I think it was you, Tom, that I was texting about this. But um, the the Nationals basically figured out a recipe of success, which they're just pitching as few of as few pitchers as possible and as good a pitchers as possible. Strasburg turned into the ace that they needed him to be. Um, I mean, Scherzer is incredible. Um, I'd put Scherzer up basically against anyone. And then on top of that, uh, you have Corbin, you have Doolittle. You have Hudson. You have enough guys that you can get through a series that's spaced out a little more like the World Series. 
uh, which is which is a recipe for success. But that being said, you can't you can't take a team over the Astros in my opinion right now, just because the Astros are built so deep pitching wise. They have a really good lineup. They're rolling right now. They they gel together better than anyone, and they've already been here, so they don't have the same jitters that the Nationals are going to have. I so I'm kind of in line with you guys. I. I wouldn't be shocked, I guess, if the Nationals pitch phenomenally and 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 kind of steal this one or or do what they did against some of the best teams in the NL. Having said that, I just think the Astros are such a better team, like you know, better built offense, pitching, any of that stuff. I also think they're a better model to follow because it's so hard to get you know a Scherzer, Strasburg, all those guys lined up at once, right? I mean, in some ways, that's kind of a perfect storm for that team. Um, the so they kind of have the same thing, though, don't they? Yeah, and and I love that they went out and get Granky. I just think they they have a blueprint. I mean, there's a reason why Sports Illustrated had them winning the World Series, predicted that I think in the correct year, right? They had you know put together the bl- blueprint and showed how they're using analytics and they're this and this. And I guess to to me, that's um, it's a little different story than I know Harper's not part of it, but I mean the Nationals had two you know top draft picks they you know the scherzer thing it's just that there's not many markets i think that can afford it he's getting back pay right for years after he's done Mm -hmm. pitching long time yeah i mean i just don't i don't think that's like a reasonable expectation for many teams where the astros well i don't i think it's silly to think that they're a small market team houston's a really really big city Mm -hmm. it's it is something that they were just so bad for so long that people just kind of forgot well and also don't we don't need to stoke the narrative that they just tanked a whole bunch and got really great number one picks. Certainly Altuve, Bregman, Springer, yeah. but they also missed on Mark Appel. They missed on Brady Aiken. Two and so, I mean, those were, I mean, those were both number ones, if I'm not mistaken. They, they, didn't they draft, they drafted Correa too, right? Yeah. yeah. They took him ahead of Byron Buxton. That's what I should have said instead of Springer. But, um, and I have it on good account that the twins would have taken Correa if he would have gotten to two, like he yeah. was the number one guy on their board. Wow. Yeah. But so, Imagine how things would be different now. But sitting in this room, you know, we cover the Twins, talking to a Twins fan. I don't think the Twins can do what the – I know there's a lot of people that lo- would love them too. I don't think they can do or it's, you know, likely that they do something like the Nationals did and, and go dump a ton of money and kind of put all your eggs in that basket. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more likely, and I think what they are currently doing is something kind of Astros light, right? It's It's a little like – Certainly, it seemed to work with Lewis and Kirilov. You know, they're finding the right prospects, and that um, what they should be doing is actually the reverse of what happened, where Presley went over there, right, and they they turned Presley into a, a really good reliever, mm-hmm. took a guy with stuff, and had him pitch in a different sequence and all that. I think what they need to do going forward is find the teams that are analytically behind or poorly run mm-hmm. and go grab their relievers right and have them pitch in a different sequence and succeed and i, I just i see the astros as a, as a better blueprint for most of the league than the nationals for example yeah there's no question about that to me um anyway also my pick for the world series i'm gonna take the astros in six i think i think they're just a better built all-around team now with that said if the nationals came in and swept them you just shrug your your shoulders say uh that's baseball that's october and that's just kind of how it goes but um, their their path is just evidence of that. I, I I think you can't take that away from them. That I thought the Dodgers for sure would take care of them, and they delivered against the Dodgers when they had to. And the fact that the Cardinals had hung ten. I mean, it's still crazy to me that they hung ten runs mm-hmm. on that Atlanta team that I thought was really good, one of the best teams to come through Target Field this year, right? That that Braves that Braves team 
was the had the National League's version of the Twins postseason run, in my opinion. It was just nothing. It, it just didn't have like that pizzazz of the regular season, and uh, that that Braves team was very good, and they went out like I don't know that I don't know if you guys watched that game, but that was one of the saddest. I, as a fan of neither of those teams, that was one of the saddest elimination games I've ever watched in my life. I think Bailey. I've never seen Bailey angry. I, I assume as he was texting us, he was beyond upset. Uh, going back to talking about the Astros, uh, proving how deep their farm system was at one point too. Hater came from them. He the, did. Yeah, it was that trade. Uh, Brewers sent Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires. They sent Brett Phillips, Josh Hader, Domingo Santana, and Adrian Hauser. Who the t- was that? Who the Twins got from the Brewers earlier? Around the trade deadline, we'll have to look at that. No, no, no. They got. They oh, got, they got Diplin, Marco, Mar- yeah. uh, Marcos Diplin. Yeah, um, but yeah. So Josh Hader could be pitching in the World Series right now if they would have, and they don't have Carlos Gomez or Mike Fires so, just anymore. Hilarious either, so. that Carlos Gomez was involved in that trade. What a yeah. what a funny thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, was a, he was in a few trades. I mean, I still one of my favorite, like not great twins. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Gogo was a lot of fun. He was. Wow. I mean, how do you how do you argue with that? But yeah, I think and and there, I just see them in in kind of to, to a point we've said, and I think we'll get into this with Nick, in terms of how they used kind of the capital, if you will, with their, um, you know, with their draft picks and with their farm system. And I I just think in many ways, and it's not taken away from the Nationals. I just said they they beat some really really good teams, and the Cardinals, for example always seem in it you know you almost have to just put them away like they did sweep them because if you give them any signs of life they seem to you know come right back and kill you but uh, um, they, I um I think they they're just a great example of they kind of deserve this they deserve to be in this position and I think they deserve to be good for a long time because they've done the things right on the back end to, to create a team like this yeah yeah there's no question about it. anything yeah. anything we missed there Nick uh, I was just gonna say, for the record, um, Delman Young is my favorite, not great twin of all time. So <laughs> I was at the I game. Want that, I want that to be on on the record. I was at the game that he gave up and in the park home run. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he was so much fun. I, I miss Delman Young so much. But no, in, in terms of the postseason, everything you guys said is is pretty spot on. I think the Nationals right now have a little bit of a magic flair going, and their whole like baby shark with Para thing is fun and. My whole family's from D.C., and they had no confidence in their team, uh, even going into the postseason. So they've, they've surprised their own fan base, and hopefully they don't just get swept or something like that. I hope it's a good series, and if it's not a good series, I hope the Nationals do it. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. Let's, let's talk about these Twins for a little bit before we let you go. So obviously they're going to have to rebuild this rotation kind of on the fly. They're going to have to get – pretty creative when it comes to how they fill those spots. What are your, what are your expectations for what this rotation will look like when they open next season in, I can't remember if it's late March or early April. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, I've never cared more about spending uh, as much money on a couple frontline pitchers as I have right now from uh, watching what's happening right now in the postseason. Um, that being said, I don't, I don't know if it's because we're in Minnesota or, or what the deal is, but it's pretty hard to get frontline pitching to come here for a, a reasonable price. I don't think the trade market's going to be very uh, doable. I don't think we're going to get a ton for a guy like Eddie Rosario in the starting pitching market. Mm-hmm. That being said, 
the the uh, the Mets have some guys. I, I wouldn't mind bringing in a guy like Wheeler. I think I've seen you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Wheeler would be really good uh, in the Twins rotation, but I still would like to see some sort of ace to go along with this lineup, like somebody that we know this lineup plus this ace equals a playoff W. Um, something we haven't had in a long time, but it's going to take a lot of money. And if the price isn't right, I think the twins have shown in the past that they're not willing to, uh, to go over that price. And Minnesota sports teams that have gone over that price in the past have been burned pretty bad. So I guess we'll have to see what happens, but probably a couple number twos. I would prefer a couple number ones or a one and a three or something like that, but I just don't see an ace coming to Minnesota. So you're on board of seeing which pitchers this offseason are you considering aces? I mean, obviously, if Strasburg opts out, he's an ace. And obviously, um, Garrett, Cole. Garrett Cole's an yeah. ace. Where do you stand on someone like Madison? Yeah, Garrett Cole's a big one. Where do you stand on someone like Madison Bumgarner? Yeah, that's, that was actually one of the names I had in my head. And I just, I'm not that high on Bumgarner. I would like, I wouldn't mind seeing him come to Minnesota. But if he comes, I want to, I want to get him for the right price. He's not a guy I want to invest a ton in on the back half of his career as a left-hander. I just, I, there's, there's other guys that I'm higher on. Bumgarner has the big name. And I know a lot of people in Minnesota have, like when Nelson Cruz came last year, that was a, that was a pretty big, like, like a noticeable name, a recognizable name that came to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Bumgarner is at, going to have a, the equivalent to a 40 home run season. Yeah. I'm not big on him just like his personality. And I kind of wonder if he's over the hill, but yeah, I mean, I, let's. He just didn't look great when I watched him this year. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see if he's got that Justin Verlander in him to you know catch a second wind as he gets older or not. Though I think that's going to be something that's kind of important to to monitor as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go over some of your uh, your blueprint. I know we've touched it on the. Podcast I, I love now, how much mileage we're able to get out of this when it's the off season and yeah, we're waiting for the World Series to what, be over. What's your? Let's. Well, t- do you guys do you guys think Cole Cole Hamels has anything? That's all, we didn't talk anything about Cole Hamels, but he's really the the other guy that's kind of over the men that that teams are probably going to try to make a run at. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what to make of him. It's 35 years old. It is. Is he the kind of guy you want to kind of patch it together with with the idea that Bruce Dark Gratterall is going to come up eventually? <clears throat> he hasn't been an ace. I mean, ace is, ace is a weird term. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got the <laughs> got to get Bailey to mute me here for a second. But um, it, he, it depends, he has a cold because he was wearing a uh, Tim Couch jersey. You don't get a cold, cold from the cold, Tom. You get cold <laughs> from being around germs like you. <laughs> Cole Hamels is like that consistent, like number two in my estimation, like his peak fan graphs war was 5.1, but this is how he's gone since then. That was back in 2011, 4.6, 4.7, 4.5, 4.5. Then there's kind of a break. Then he's 3.3, uh, 1.7, 3.2, 2.5. Uh, he's kind of become that consistent, just kind of average starter, and I think, you know, in the right environment, he could definitely help a team. But I, I think if Twins yeah. fans are looking for an ace, it's going to be more about name than it is about game. Yeah, and that's uh, that's why I wanted to ask before we moved on, Brandon. Um, there's not a lot of – I mean, Zach Wheeler is really the next name that comes up. Besides that, you got a, you have a couple weird names, and then you have Keiko who – our Keiko situation, I'm never under, like, really sure of what it is, but I don't – I don't want to, I don't really, I'm not interested in Keiko. I'm not interested in any of these other starting pitchers. 
Uh, I really would like to see Odorizzi come back as a number three and then patch up Wheeler and one other guy. But a lot of people, for whatever reason, don't think Odorizzi is going to be back. Um, do you think there's a chance that we uh, – do you know anything about the Corey Kluber situation or uh, Pineda or anything like that that we might revert Let, back to? Let's let's pause on or, uh, yeah, Odorizzi quick and then get to the other two. Well, I mean, it sounds like Kluber's option will be picked up. <clears throat> Excuse me. It sounds like – I don't know if that means they want to trade him. I don't know where Cleveland really stands in terms of – where they view themselves on the winning curve. But I also think mm-hmm. if if they if they are ready for kind of like a bit of a retooling, I could see them flipping Kluber. The problem is that Kluber's value probably is down after such an injury marred season. But with only one year left, just uh and and you know quite a bit of money coming his way, they already moved on from Trevor Bauer for pretty much that same reason. I don't know, because I mean now that Danny Salazar is pretty much a non-entity, they don't have Bauer. They, you know, they've got some young guys who have been interesting. I think they're going to have to start thinking about retooling on the fly, and I think that was part of what they did at the trade deadline as well. I They they probably aren't going in division. And honestly, and I know this is like a Minnesota sports thing, the Twins have to be a little careful too, just like feeding into, mm-hmm. you know, another team in the division. I feel like that always, you know, the, the player always comes back to bite you. Mm-hmm. But uh but yeah, I just I Kluber's an interesting one. Pineda is someone you have in your plans. You would like to see them. Yeah, I think I think you give him the qualifying offer and then when you prorate it to the games that he can give you, it's something like thirteen million dollars. If you let him go to free agency and then you offer him thirteen million dollars, then you know, then uh you see then you don't have a chance to keep him because he could choose somewhere else. I think also though he realizes yeah, I guess. He's, he's not getting a multi year deal elsewhere after that. So yeah, no, I guess the, the biggest thing I'm afraid of uh, as a Twins fan is going into another year with a similar rotation to this year where we have like three or four guys that are too good to take out of a rotation but just can't match up against a one or a two. Yeah, so he has Wheeler, Burrios, John Gray, Kevin Gossman, and then he's basically tying Kyle Gibson and Pineda together, Gibson being like a $4 million player, I think he had him in there for, and he's the bridge to Pineda, the maybe upside of, staying in the rotation or going back into the bullpen or, I mean, mm-hmm. in a really yeah. bad situation, released after Pineda comes back. Well, then I think you find your number four slash five starter, whichever one you don't think Pineda is, is some kind of reclamation project, whether it's Kevin Gaussman, if he gets non-tendered by the Reds, Alex Wood, uh, some somebody of that type where you don't have to be married to them giving you 180 innings if they get injured and you can put Randy Dobnak in there, you can put Devin Smeltzer in there, maybe maybe Gratterall figures it out or gets closer, Uh, Balazovic, any of those guys, Blaine Enlow. I mean, they're going to have some guys who are hitting Pensacola or will be in Pensacola for a large chunk of the 2020 season. But I think when you're coming off 101 wins, and this is what I said about position players as well, you probably can't have too many spots earmarked to those guys to start the season. Like, for instance, if you traded Eddie Rosario and thought that Alex Kirloff was ready, you probably aren't letting him start the season because if he goes one for his first 50, you know, the Aaron Hicks 2013 bit. Aaron Hicks. Yeah. Then yeah. you then you end up having a Jake Cave situation in left field or a Cleet Thomas, you know. <laughs> Cleet sanity, yeah. baby. You end up having your backup out there and you have a gap in your production. The Twins are going to have to probably – mix and match with, you know, maybe they make a long-term investment to a Zach Wheeler, Madison Bumgarner, whoever, but 
you do got to kind of stack up some chips that your or some cards that your prospects can knock down as well, while also realizing that if those chips reach their maximum potential, they're still championship caliber contributors. Like Alex Wood to me is that kind of guy where he hasn't stayed healthy, but when he did, you know, the Dodgers had him and wanted him to pitch for them, and the Dodgers are a good team. You know, if you gamble yeah, he went on, on a big run with the Dodgers. Sure, like if you gamble on a Mike Pelfrey level guy and he gets hurt, you don't really care. But if he gives you everything he's got and it's 200 innings with a 4.50 ERA, then that wasn't the right gamble. It wasn't a gamble at all. It was basically rolling dice what and you got. the dice came up with a 2 and a 3. You know, it just it's something that happened. So, I think they do need to make a couple of those big time risks where they can have backup in Randy Dobnak and some of their better prospects who maybe aren't top 100 guys or top 20 guys in their system but can still give you competent relief or competent production. Yeah, and that's, the, that's the thing. Going into the playoffs, you don't need five guys. Uh, right. So they, they still got to pitch the regular season innings without getting guys injured. And I think that's the that's going to be become the hardest part of this new recipe is how do you really manage the whole – uh, regular season rotation versus the playoff rotation. Well, and I think that too is funny. Like we, what I think Rocco is going to find out moving forward is just exactly what he believes when it comes to postseason. Cause you know, we saw Aaron Boone go starter for three, four innings and then best reliever and work his way back. And that makes sense when you've got two really good offenses dueling and you want to extend the game for your offense as much as possible. Whereas Rocco was like, well, I kind of view all these guys relatively equally. Maybe not Cody Stashak on the same level as Tyler Duffy, but he's going to use his yeah. his middle guys that he really likes to bridge it to the to the end. And I think what worked for Boone was that in that first game they took off, they had that big double that, uh, you know, Crone misses the ball and then there's a big double down the line and he blows it into like a 7-4, 8-4 game or whatever it was. But... If the yeah. game stays close and then Nelson Cruz hits a walk-off homer off Jay Hop at Target Field, for instance, in Game 3, because Hop is the only guy left because he used Adovino for one guy and he used Zach Britton for two guys in the fifth inning, then his his crazy strategy that worked suddenly becomes back-page fodder for the New York Post. Oh, Boone's an idiot. He used all his relievers and didn't have anybody left. Well... We, we don't want to get too tied up in looking at the results as opposed to the process. And so I think that's where Rocco will probably show the most growth is he will separate his his theories and what works with what maybe just worked for one team or the other. Like, for instance, so and, – and, and you mentioned the narrative of the World Series. I think if, if the Astros win, you could go a million different ways with it. You could say, oh, wow, great offenses can win in October. Great pitching staffs can win in October. Great bullpens can win in October. Yeah, well, if if the Nationals win, you're going to go, oh, it's got to be high-priced pitching. Okay, well, they almost lost to the Brewers. Then what would the narrative be? You know, um, Justin Bailey is like hammered right. every day. Yeah, well, that's that's every day. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, it'd be it actually to be fair though, it'd be like you got to go get a player like Yelich, right? You got to go trade. But I mean, but I mean, the the idea that it's got to be a copycat league where, oh look, the Nationals won and they spent. $80 million on their top three starters. Okay, but if what if they didn't make the World Series and the Braves did? Then do you have to have a ton of really talented young guys like uh, Albies and Acuna? Okay, well, what if they didn't make it? What if the Dodgers I, I just, I just, I think it's it's easier yeah. to look at a recipe in which you have a couple guys that, like there's only one pitcher that throws at a time 
there's nine guys in the field. I, I, it, there's so few good pitchers as we just went over those. Like if we look at the whole free agent list, the only guy that really like jumps off the page is Cole. Everybody else you're not going to look at and think World Series. And that's that's the whole thing is when you're looking at like the whole thing as a whole, it, it doesn't make much sense to invest too much into position players when you're when you have to put a four or five to a four or eight guy on the mound anyways. That's that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this twins lineup didn't come together from just paying huge sluggers all over the league. Most of them kind of grew in house and Nelson Cruz came and had a huge renaissance here. Oh, you gotta go, Bailey? No, we're gonna get ready to let him go. I just think I think if they don't make enough of an addition pitching wise, you just have to throw your best guys out there and see what sticks. It's so maybe instead your starters go three innings and then you patch the last six innings together with guys like you know, maybe your Randy Dobnek is your reliever at that time. He's a relief ace, and you bring in Stashak, who maybe is a little more battle tested and that sort of thing. So honestly, I think Fans are going to draw too much from the narratives of what the Twins have to do this offseason because they're going to have room to spend some money. They have some very obvious needs, but also they have some very obvious strengths. And people are going to want to borrow from those strengths and go to those needs. But if you make your strengths weaknesses, it's there's a lot of room for really bad takes. And so it's, it's hard not to get swallowed up on Twitter in that sort of thing. Um, before we go, though, any parting shots? Tiny Nick, hopefully we can get you up here so I can actually – Meet you in the flesh one of these I, days. I think we'll we'll bring him on after the twins make the moves and we can evaluate. Yeah, I guess we'll my, my parting thoughts uh, would be jet. just because I've seen it a lot. Is um is a lot of people are ripping on Miguel Sano. I've even seen today he, he was called not a top ten player on the Twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely disagree with that. And in terms of the Rosario stuff that I, uh, I see a lot of people talking about, I'm pretty open to trading Rosario. But at the same time, uh, I don't think we're going to get much uh, in an analytically driven league for Rosario. So yeah. I don't want to just trade him for nothing. No, you can't trade him for nothing. And he still could be a bridge for Kirloff, right? I mean, there, he'd still be a, yeah, you're, yeah. you're not giving him away, but at the same time, um, if, you, if there's a move to be made, I, I promise you they're going to look at it. Um, so we got to get Bailey on the shuttle out of here. Tom's got some stuff going on and tiny Nick, you probably got to do some schoolwork or something productive with your day. Yeah. I got to, I got to get to class here in the next hour. Wow. At least someone here has class anyway. So that, uh, for, for the aforementioned Justin Bailey at I am Justin Bailey. Uh, what is it? Is it at real tiny Nick, the real tiny Nick? What is your handle again? Uh, it's at, at the real tiny Nick on Twitter. Okay. And then uh, at T Schreier three, it's the third version of Tom Schreier. I'm Brandon Warren at Brandon underscore Warren saying, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again next week with an all new edition of Midwest wing, part of the zone coverage podcast network. Rock over London, rock on Chicago. Chicago.